Hello, this is the Doctor is In podcast, here to talk about health topics by healthcare students and the relevance to young professionals just like us. Today we're going to talk about breast cancer health, breast self-awareness, and when it is time to talk with a healthcare professional. My name is Ben Martin, and I'm here today with my co-host, Nathan Seberg. We are both second-year physical therapy students at the University of Iowa. Here to talk about this is Brooke Jennings. She is a fourth-year medical student at the University of Iowa College of Medicine. Welcome, Brooke. Hi, everyone. So you wrote us a great article about breast cancer awareness and uh, some things to look out for. Can you just tell us a little about your article? Yeah, so for this month, in honor of uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I wrote an article basically on general breast health and sort of breast self-awareness. So the article sort of uh, breaks it down into three parts. The first part being common breast problems. Um, most pro breast problems that patients will come in to seek help from their healthcare providers won't actually be cancer, but it's definitely something uh, to be aware of and be on the lookout for. The next part of the article sort of talks about what is breast self-awareness, and that's sort of broken down into three parts. Uh, first of all, you want to know what normal looks like for you and your breasts. Uh, secondly, you want to know what are your risk factors, so thinking of your family history and other uh, lifestyle or genetic risk factors that we discussed in the article. Um, and then lastly, knowing when to seek help from a healthcare provider. And then the last uh, Part just sort of talks about seeking help and where you can seek help on campus and um, some of those breast changes to look out for. Yeah, so one of the main things that you mentioned in your article um, is often overlooked by people, and it's the fact that breasts change naturally through the lifetime. So what are some normal age-related changes that may be seen in breast tissue, and how come it's harder to detect that in some people? Right, so... Um, a lot of our breast changes that happen throughout the life are hormone related. So uh, your your breast can actually change, you know, in relation to your menstrual cycle, and then also as you approach menopause. So younger women tend to have more dense breasts, um, which is typically why we uh, think of looking at uh, women under 30 with um, ultrasound as opposed to above 30. We typically think of mammography uh, related to that. Uh, breast tissue density. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, from your article, it sounds like breast cancer is potentially very preventable if caught early enough. Um, you talk about a stat um, at the end of your article where um, five-year survival rate is as high as 99%. Where is kind of the weak link in our system um, that ends up in so many people dying from breast cancer? Is it more on the side of um, seeking treatment or is it getting missed at the doctor's office? Or um, just, yeah, what's kind of the weak link in our, in our system here? Right, right. So I think the key point here is that breast cancer is very treatable. Um, so it's, if it's found in that stage one or stage two A, um, these breast cancers are typically, will typically have a 99% five-year survival rate. Um, but if we think about stage four breast cancer, which just means uh, that it has metastases or it's spread to somewhere else in the body. And that five-year-old survival rate is much lower, so that's going to be around 27%. Um, so I think the big takeaway here is actually getting that screening implemented. And so um, 
I think the big thing to think about here is we have to think about healthcare disparities. Um, so if patients have access to the care, access to transportation, do they have other things going on in their life where they're not getting to sort of general um, health visits where they would get offered screening? Are they focusing on something else? Do, are they able to get insurance to get these scans covered? Um, so the big thing is that you want to catch it in that stage one or stage two A. Um, and that's why screening is so important. Um, and, and another point that we talk about in the article is actually that uh, the American Cancer Society doesn't recommend uh, clinical or self-breast exams as part of cancer screening. And that's actually because, um, based on evidence, there hasn't been any increased uh, survival benefit in comparison to um, screening with imaging. So um, screening with imaging will typically detect something much earlier than it can actually be felt with the with um, on a breast exam. Um, if you're feeling it on a breast exam, it's very likely that uh, this tumor is getting more into the stage two. We really, really want to try and get it in that stage one. Um, yeah. So what age do these um, screenings usually start happening at? Right. Um, so this is sort of up for debate as well as the breast exam is up for debate. So you'll see some, some places will recommend um, doing imaging in addition to a, a clinical breast exam every year and some will say uh, just imaging, not, not fully convinced with the efficacy of um, a breast exam. So it sort of depends and you can have this discussion with your healthcare provider, but um, we recommend screening starting between ages 40 to 50, as early as 40, and then getting that imaging screening every one to two years with mammography. So we talked about how the American Cancer Society isn't pushing for these self-breast exams at this point. Um, can you speak a little briefly on what those are exactly, um, but also why it's important to just have a normal baseline for yourself? Right, right. So they're not, they're not recommending um, sort of a self-breast exam, you know, it used to, they used to say, you know, maybe do a breast exam weekly or um, something more regular. And now it seems everyone is more promoting just breast self-awareness so that you're able to catch something that's out of the normal for you. So now we don't recommend a formal breast exam for yourself, um, but just getting comfortable with, uh, your breasts in particular and knowing how to take a look if something is feeling tender or the skin feels thickened or you're starting to have um, maybe a change in the shape that looks different from the other side. And that's what it really means to sort of establish a normal for you. So you're able to detect when things just aren't maybe right or, you know, feel off. And sometimes you come in and sometimes that's cancer related or other times it's something um, like an infection or, um, or related to um, menstrual changes. What are kind of the risk factors for breast cancer? Um, you know, I know you talked about some that we cannot change, such as like genetics, age, um, but you also talk about some risk factors that we can change, like um, smoking, drinking, weight, and physical activity, and how those can kind of put you at a predisposition for developing breast cancer later on in life. Right, right. Um, so just to touch base on the genetic one, um, I think it's important to touch here. So if you have a family history of any 
uh, breast cancers or um, other gynecological cancers or just cancers in general, that's a good thing to be aware of and possibly talk to your healthcare provider about to know how that plays into your risk. Um, and then sort of switching over to more of our mod modifiable risk factors that we can talk about um, that have been linked to breast cancer. Uh, a main one is going to be obesity. So actually our fat cells have the ability to sort of change hormones, which we um, talk about as androgens, and they're able to switch it into those um, sort of estrogen or estrone hormones, which can play an active role in sort of developing that breast cancer. Um, so, you know, we recommend having a healthy lifestyle, um, eating a healthy diet, and getting regular exercise, as well as uh, smoking and alcohol consumption has also been linked to breast cancer. The relative commonality, so to say, of breast cancer, and thankfully the high survival rate that we've seen, has led to over 3.8 million breast cancer survivors living in the United States today. Touch a little bit on the risk factors that they have for future development of cancer or other any other comorbidities that we might see in these cancer survivors. Right, right. Um, so just to start off, for their recurrence risk, really what we're looking at is um, hoping to get them past that five-year rate. So um, once we get them past that five-year survival rate, uh, they're in a much safer position to say um, that their breast cancer isn't going to recur. So that's why we have that goal of that five-year survival rate at 99% for those stage one and stage two A cancers. Um, and then as far as other uh, comorbidities that they can have, it really depends on um, sort of what treatments they receive. So, you know, if they had um, surgical resection, if they had lymph nodes taken out um, in the armpit area, or if they had radiation to that area, uh, a common problem with that in particular is they can have lymphedema or swelling swelling in that um, arm. So it really depends, you know, if they receive chemotherapy or other specific hormone-targeted therapies that will be related to the specific therapy that they receive. That makes a lot of sense. And um, I think kind of on the other side of this discussion um, is that um, we, we do know that breast cancer is obviously much more um, common in females, um, but it can also occur in men. Um, are many of the same points, and in your article you talk about a lot of risk factors and um, things to look for especially, are those um, going to hold true to males as well, or is there kind of a different presentation in males? Yep, yep. So I would say you're going to be looking for the same things, and we can just touch on some of the big ones. So um, noticing any asymmetry, you know, sort of the change in the chest area that looks different on each side. Uh, of course, if you know a particular mass that you can feel or, you know, changes in the nipple, sort of sometimes patients can describe inversion or new discharge that they notice or just a new tenderness. Uh, so those are some of the main things to look out for. And that'll be in the same uh, as women as it is for men. So I know Nathan has one last question after this, but I first wanted to see if you had any um, take-home points for our listeners, especially kind of to translate to you know student body population. How does why is this like important? Like that we care about this, right? So I think this is just a good time right now to sort of learn how to own your health and um, sort of take charge of your body and figure out 
um, sort of how to how to manage these things as you're moving into college. It's sort of a, a different time. So um, these points that we talk about here are not only important for breast cancer, but just noting any changes in your in your breasts. And um, there's many reasons why you might notice a change. And usually it's not going to be breast cancer, but it's still important to know your own normal. Um, and the quicker you seek help for any changes that you're noticing, uh, whether that be um, sort of an infection or maybe it's a mass related to sort of fatty tissue, you know, changes or death or um, the quicker that you come in and get it addressed, uh, the quicker you're able to get an answer and potentially treatment uh, to fix that for you. Yeah, I think uh, that's a really great point. And I think own your own health is just a really great point to make because, I mean, especially for, I don't know how you guys feel, but it's for, for me scary because like, you're from like, you know, your parents taking you to your doctor's appointment to in college and like if anything's weird or different, it's, you know, up to you to like recognize that and like start to get help. So really right. owning that and not being like, oh, the healthcare system will just take care of me eventually. Right. If you're like on top of it, it can make such a big difference. So I think that's a really good message. Right. Yeah. So to wrap up, um, I just have one final question for you. In a theoretical fight, who would win? 250 angry chickens or a polar bear? We ask this to everyone. Oh. I just, I think that's too much too much weight. I would have to say the polar bear. They have big teeth, big claws. I don't think the chickens could take him. She's but. right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've had a pretty split. Really? People so are far. betting on the chickens. <laughs> At first, everyone was chickens. Yeah, everyone was chickens. now it's everyone's polar bears. So we're about even now. It switched over. I feel like, I feel like I've been team polar bear in the past. It was I'm all those dentists who were... Yeah, the, the dentist thought the chickens were going to win. I mean, the chickens have claws, but I think you could claw a polar bear and it would just... Be fine. Yeah, it wouldn't care. It's a polar bear. It it's would, like it would just hundreds eat of it. pounds. It would turn around and eat it. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us um, to talk about this really important discussion. Um, we really appreciate your time sitting with us through all these technical difficulties. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys for having me. This is great. <laughs>